you, Stephen. Well, this is just a, a great day, starting a new series on Patriots Day, I mean, Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, you know, if you were able to sort of hang out with Bill Belichick, and uh, he said, look, you know, I'd really just value to have you hang around with me, or Tom Brady, and he said, look, just spend you know, most of your life just hanging out with me. I just want to teach everything I know. Uh, and just as much as I know, I want to give you. You'd probably say, hey, that's pretty unusual. I mean, that would be a pretty decent offer, especially if you're interested in football. You'd be like, great. I mean, how else would I learn how to be a great coach? Or uh, what does this quarterback think? And how does he uh, practice? And, you know, if you're into being a quarterback, that would be like an unbelievable offer. But, you know, what I, what I think is sort of so strange for us in the Bible is often the things that God is asking us to do just seem so counter what we want to do. Uh, meaning this, uh, often people will say the Bible is like an upside-down system or an upside-down value system or an upside-down thinking system because God is calling us to be servants. And like nobody wakes up in the morning saying, wow, I want to be a servant. When I grow up, I want to be a servant. I want to be like a really good servant. And, you know, how can I become a really great servant? No, we say, I want to be Tom Brady. I want to be, you know, Bill Belichick. I want to be president or whatever. But nobody's saying, I want to be a servant. And yet God is saying, I want you to be my servants. And we're saying like, well, can we be your apostle or can we be your, you know, your king or uh, can we be like the main anointed dude or, but servant, not feeling it. And so we have this upside down, uh, you know, sort of kingdom. It's like what God is valuing is that we will be his servants. But the really cool thing about being a servant is sort of like hanging out with Bill Belichick. You get to hang with them. You get to know the whole inside scoop. You get to, you know, understand how the whole thing works. And I mean, there's just a, there's just a lot of benefits about being a servant uh, without having to be the main guy. And today we want to start the series in Isaiah. And I would say the book of Isaiah... Uh, it's a book about servanthood, what it means to be a great faithful servant, uh, or saying it differently, what is God's plan for humankind, and how do we best fit into God's plan? Uh, you know, for many, the book of Isaiah is just super complicated, and like, you just don't get it. I mean, it's a big book for one thing. And it talks a lot about a lot of people that are long gone and about a lot of countries that are long gone. And it just, you, you, you read it and it's like, eh, not, not getting it. But on the other hand, uh, it's a book which so opens up so much of what we should really uh, know or uh, saying it differently. It's like you've walked into a movie but you got there late. I mean, not like you guys come late to church, but I mean, you know, like those that do. And you walk in and it's like, it's already three quarters of the way through and you're like, you know, what, what, what was the introduction and how did this get going? And you, and you get in the movie and it's like, man, I, I don't know what happened before. That, that's sort of like our lives. Our lives. You know, we, we, we come onto this planet and, uh, you know, you, you, you mature and finally you realize like, wait a minute, I, I, I've become part of a story 
uh, I don't really know what all happened before I got here, and I'm asking all the meanings of life and, and what's going to happen afterwards, and, and you're trying to figure this out. And then you read a book like Isaiah, and it's like it helps you get a lot of the story before you arrived, and it's telling you a lot about the story after you're going to be dead, and it starts putting the pieces together. And it's like, this, is, this, this book's like, it's a quality book. You know, uh, John Oswald, um, uh, I'll show you a picture of John Oswald. He's a professor at Asbury Seminary, and I was greatly fortunate as part of a Vineyard Leadership Institute to study uh, under him on the book of Isaiah. And here's a guy that uh, he's really focused his whole life on one book, the book of Isaiah. And uh, when you're uh, listening to him and you, you think, okay, maybe, you know, like, two full days, maybe we do like a conference and we do, you know, two or three full days on just on Isaiah. You'd think like, okay, I really know this book after that. But after you spend three days with him on the book of Isaiah, you realize, man, I know nothing about this book. There's like a lot more to know about this book. And so, you know, he's committed his whole life just to studying this book. And he's a real expert, obviously, on the book. And when he talks about the book, you're like, Wow. I need to read this again and again and again and again because it's just so much to get out of it. Uh, in fact, he made the most uh, sort of uh, surprising statement initially, and that was, uh, you know, if you were going to be stuck alone for a long period of time and you were only allowed to bring one book with you, which book would that be? And when he said that, he said, I don't mean like the Bible counts as a book. No, you've got to choose one book from the Bible. Okay, so if you can only take one book from the Bible, which book would that be? And for John Oswald, he said, of course, Isaiah would be the book. I mean, that's the book that's be the most helpful, you know. So, uh, and then when you think about it, it's like, hmm, maybe that's not such a bad choice. This really is an intriguing book. Uh, so I just want to jump in uh, with this book, and today... I've titled this service, uh, this uh, sermon, Seeing Ourselves in Isaiah, Seeing Ourselves in the Book of Isaiah, Developing a Servant's Heart. So if you go to bulletin insert, why don't you pull it out as we go through here, and I'll, I'll be tracking with this hopefully fairly uh, closely. But uh, developing a servant's heart. Uh, it's not... It's not the most sort of captivating title. Like, yeah, I want to develop the heart of a servant. Yeah, well, you kind of got to get into it before you realize that this is a great thing for us to develop the heart of a, ser of a servant. Let me just open and pray before I jump right in. Jesus, I just pray today that each person here today would experience you in one way, shape, or form. Lord, that your words would speak to them from the Bible as I'm reading Isaiah, uh, Lord, or they just experience your presence here today, whether it's, you know, during worship or preaching. But Lord, I just pray what I'm saying is relevant and it connects. And I can bridge this gap between a book written so long ago and our lives today. So I just welcome your Holy Spirit to move here, and I just ask for you to empower me as I preach today. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, not only is this a great book, but I want to jump into one of the great chapters of this book, chapter 6, uh, and probably one of the greatest chapters in the Bible, 
so it's a little bit of a daunting task. Uh, you know, when I think about preaching on Isaiah chapter 6, uh, in many ways, it's sort of like the Super Bowl of chapters. You know, it's like, how do I exactly get my arms around this chapter? How do I, I really preach this chapter? Because there's like a lot happening in this chapter. I mean, it's a really, really exciting chapter. So uh, without any uh, further introduction, let me like get into it and see if I can show you why I'm so enthusiastic about this, uh, this book and this chapter. Uh, just starting out, it was in the year that King Uzziah died. You know, just as we just get going, it's in the year King Uzziah died. We don't know exactly what date that is, but 739 B.C., 700 years before Christ, uh, it's a pretty old book. That's around about when we know about this king. And he was a good king, and there's plenty of external, outside of the Bible evidence that a king by this name did actually live, which, by the way, uh, does make Christianity a remarkable religion. Because when we come to faith in Christ, we're not asking you to have faith in faith. It's not like just believe and just believe that what you believe is what you should believe. No, you've you got to believe in actual facts. I mean, it's a remarkable thing. There really was a king. There really was Isaiah. God really did say these things. And we have all the, the, the facts of the Bible uh, supporting what we then need to take the step of faith. But the faith is based on facts. It's not faith based on faith. Uh, so it starts off with a historical fact and then... Listen to this. This is just such an incredible a verse in the Bible or a section in the Bible. It was the year, it was in the year that King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. That I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's army. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. Wow. You know, the reason that this is such a crazy, incredible verse is because it gives us insight into God. I mean, if we didn't have this verse in Isaiah, we would be missing a whole part of who God is and how totally other God is. When we have an encounter with God in whatever format we have, the encounter always leaves us in the same predicament. That God is so large and in charge, and we aren't. And in this particular case, Isaiah, just the average, you know, humble guy, he gets to have his eyes open. I mean, I don't exactly know how this all happened. We just get the account from Isaiah. I don't think he was physically in the temple uh, in Jerusalem. Maybe he was. Uh, it sort of doesn't matter. What does matter is he got a vision. His eyes were open. And in this vision, he sees God. And he experiences God. And it just totally blows him away. It's, you know, Isaiah was a godly man. But this experience with God, it 
transforms him. It's like God is so holy. He is so other. And the interesting thing is when we encounter God, just like Isaiah, uh, we experience emotions. And uh, the emotion that Isaiah experiences, which is a great one, is, wow, God is holy. I mean, he's holy. He's totally other. And when we have an experience or when we have a realization or when we have any ability to experience God in who God is, uh, this holiness of God, this otherness of God makes God like totally huge and it makes us totally tiny. Uh, you know, Isaiah is not having this vision saying, well, God, let me question like these seraphim. Why they got like, uh, you know, six wings? Why not five? Why not eight? You know, why did you make them? Like? No, it's like, this is like weird. This is totally unbelievable. And I think to try and analyze like the seraphim and what they look like and how long their wings were and, and how many wings and what the symbolic meaning might be and how many toes. I mean, it's just like you're missing the point. It's like this is a totally other experience with a holy God. That's the point. And once you have an encounter with God, it has an impact on us. Now, notice Isaiah is not terrified in the sense of, I'm out of here. I'm going to the hills. I'm going to bury myself in the hills. I'm going to make sure I've got enough provisions, water and food and ammunition so that like, when the end times come, I'm, like, I'm, I'm okay for at least like three weeks or two days. I don't know. It's like, no, it's not that kind of a fear. It's like, God, you are so other, but you're magnetic. Like I'm, I'm fixated on who you are. I'm drawn to you. I'm experiencing some of your love on some of your like hugeness. I mean, that's the kind of encounter that you have. And you say, you are totally, uh, you know, holy. And I fear you because you are a lot bigger than what I could ever imagine. That's the experience that we have. So Following my, uh, my sermon notes, the reason to become God's servant, the reason to become God's servant is because we are just blown away with how incredibly great God is. And that would make an analogy with, you know, being Tom Brady's servant or Bill Belichick's servant just like ridiculous. I mean, God is just like so much greater. And to, to be God's servant and to be able to hear from God and be directed from, by God and to do what God is doing uh, would just seem like a huge, awesome, wonderful privilege. And so, honestly, for each one of us, <clears throat> we all need to encounter the living God personally in, in some way, shape, or form. And if you asked every one of us, like, how did you get to know Jesus? Uh, what was the, your story? All of our stories would be totally different. But God is the same. Uh, we need to experience the love of God personally. And we can use the facts of the Bible to help us. But ultimately, it's going to be, okay, I take the facts, and it's going to be a step of faith. It, it, it will be. But we need to experience, encounter the living God, because God is love, and we need to experience God's love. It's not good enough, excuse me, to just experience facts. It, it, that just won't cut it. We don't watch the Super Bowl just, you know, okay, give me the score afterwards. I don't really care about the game. You, you, you watch the game because it's like fun. So we do need to experience God, and uh, the, the very thing that happens to Isaiah here is he starts experiencing 
uh, God. And when you experience God, that's the starting point uh, in a relationship with God. The starting point is somehow other to encounter that God is alive and that God knows you personally and that God has a plan for this, uh, this planet. So Isaiah has this unbelievable encounter with God. Well, in verse 5, this leads to uh, an obvious, uh, like now what? You know, he's experienced God's uh, revelation in some unbelievable way. But this starts a, a process to become a servant. God has a plan for revealing to Isaiah uh, this awesomeness of him. And in verse 5, we get a, a glimpse of this. It says, then I said, it's all over. I am doomed, for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. Now, here's the weird thing. When you have an, a real encounter with God, this is a normal experience. A normal experience is, oh my gosh, God is holy and I'm not. It's a weird thing. You know, if I run around and I say, you know, you're a sinner, like our opening song, you know, you're a sinner and sin, and you're like, it's just like, yeah, I don't feel like I'm a sinner. Like, you know, when I look at my neighbor, I'm actually better than my neighbor. And, you know, Rob, actually, I think I'm better than you. So, you know, I'm actually a pretty good guy and I'm not really a sinner. But when you encounter God, I mean, the standard is just so huge. It's like, oh my gosh. I'm a sinner because you are now being compared to perfection. And somehow other God is able to shine his light right into your heart, into your mind. And it's like God knows you. He can read you. He understands you. And you've got nothing to hide. And God is perfect. And when you compare yourself to God, you realize, whoa, I'm not perfect. What a revelation. But you need that revelation to happen, not because I'm pointing my finger at you and saying, you know, you bad guy, you didn't follow some rules, you're a sinner, and now repent. No, 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 no. You need to have that revelation because when you encounter the living God and how awesome He is and how loving He is, you say, man, I want more of that love. I love the feeling when God is on my side. It's, it's an awesome thing. And I need to, like, repent because I feel unworthy. I feel dirty. I feel, you know, I, uh, Isaiah is using, I, I feel like my lips are filthy. Others would say, I feel like my heart is impure or my, my heart is not right. But there's a revelation here of, I'm not good enough to be in the presence of a holy, holy God. I mean, you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't show up into Belichick's uh, training room and have a, like a hundred ideas about how you should do the game. You know, you wouldn't like, Anyway, part of uh, repentance is realizing that uh, we don't know it all, and we don't have all the answers, and God does. I mean, that, that, that's the point. So in this process, Isaiah has his experience with God, which leads him to realize, I don't know it all, I'm not that great, but God is, and I want more of God, and God is awesome. And so you say, wait, I, I need to repent. I'm a man of unclean lips, uh, and... You know, the challenge we have in all of this is often we think too highly of ourselves or uh, instead of desiring to be a servant, we desire to be a businessman or a you know, great teacher or whatever. And 
these things can get in our way of actually knowing and understanding God. Because if we've got too much power or too much control or too much wealth, uh, it's difficult to put that aside and to encounter God. Uh, you know, Jesus uh, said this to his disciples. It's, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of, a, eye of a needle than for a rich man to come into heaven. Well, the point of that was this. It's like when you feel like you're great and you don't have any sin and you're just perfect and you've got everything under control, then like, what's the purpose of God? But if you don't feel great and you feel like, I need more love, I need to be better understood, I need somebody to help me in my life, I need more power, I need to have some purpose in my life, you know, things just aren't perfect in my life, then you're in a really good place to say, God, I need your help. And in fact, God, you know, you can be a source of help and you can be a, a source of comfort. Or God, I desperately need healing, you know, and I can't heal myself. You're in a much better place then because you have an element of humility and an element of saying, God, you, you're bigger than what I am. Crazy thing that happens uh, here is uh, this desire to then want to serve God. You encounter God, you go through this process of, like, you know, uh, I don't know what to do with myself. Uh, I'm not that, that worthy. And in, um, in verse 8, let me just uh, pick this up here. Well, let me follow the text here. It says, he sees this weird thing in the, of the temple and the seraphim flying around. Then he says, I've got filthy lips. And then in verse 6, it says, Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar, uh, with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. There's a process where God in His holiness is providing a way of making somebody be worthy or be loved or be accepted or be able to come into God's presence. And so, you know, in this sort of picture you have of the seraphim touching and burning Isaiah's lips, it transforms him into healing. And then the response that Isaiah has after this is to say, God, I, I, I want to serve you. Then I heard the Lord asking, whom, well, let me back up here. He touched his lips and said, see, this call has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Then I heard the Lord asking, whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? Okay, God has a plan. God is like working with Isaiah. It's the same in a similar way, the way God works with us. He says, okay, uh, who can I send? Now Isaiah is in this perfect position. He's been humbled. He's experienced the awesomeness of God. And Isaiah does what most of us should do, which is say, yes, God, I, I, sign me up. Sign me up to be one of your followers. You know, sign me up to be your disciple. And Isaiah says, send me. I mean, just like this incredible verse. Now notice, uh, there's a huge amount of uh, repentance and humility that's going on here. Isaiah doesn't do what you and I would do. He doesn't say, well, God, let me just sit down with you and discuss this job description. You know, uh, where do I get the power? And, and how much, you know, what's my pay going to be like? And uh, what are the fringe benefits? And uh, I don't want any risk involved. And I really want to be like the main guy. I, you know, I want all the glory and fame. And, and, and you know, I want to hold up the trophy. And, and that's what I'm not happening. It's like, I just want to be your servant. 
He doesn't even know what that means. He doesn't even know what he's signing up for. But the reason he wants to sign up is because God is so good. And it's like, man, if I can experience what I'm experiencing when I'm seeing all this stuff and the smoke and God's you know, train filling the whole temple, I, I, I want more of that, whatever that is. I, that's awesome. That's in, you know, empowering. And so he says, send me, just like send me. I want to be your servant. And God's like, yeah, I got this plan all along. I, I wanted to use you. I wanted to send you. I just wanted you to sign up. And I wanted you to do it like on your own volition, you know, like without any influence, just because you decided you wanted to do it. And Isaiah's like, yeah, yeah, just send me. And so, you know, you get the desire to serve, and then he does what uh, God's purpose is. Uh, it's the, the first thing you realize is it's not about you. God's purpose is it's not about you. And we think, well, if it's not about me, how can it be fun? And God says, no, when it's all about me, it is fun because you're linked to me. And when you get involved in God's purposes and God's plans, now all of a sudden, it's a lot of fun. And so, well, let's just look at the job description here. So he signs up first. Okay, God's got him. You signed the contract. You got it, Isaiah. You said, send me. Okay, you're the man. I'm going to send you. You're going to be my prophet. Awesome. And so verse 9, and he said, yes. Go and say this to my people. Listen carefully, but do not understand. Watch closely, but learn nothing. Harden the hearts of these people. Plug their ears and shut their eyes. That way they will not see with their eyes. They will not hear with their ears, nor understand with their hearts, and turn to me for healing. I mean, what a great job, right? You're going to go and talk to these people. They're going to ignore you. Everything you say to them, they're not going to reject. Uh, you know, they're going to harden their hearts. In fact, they're going to hate you. You know, they're going to think you're a lunatic and nutcase. They're like an overexcited uh, prophet preacher, you know, and they're just going to run you out of town. Basically, that's your job, Isaiah. Go to it. You just said, sign me up. Here we go. Now, again, the next step in becoming a servant is this one, uh, and Test yourself in this. When God says, okay, that's it. Uh, Isaiah does not say, okay, God, you know, let's, let's discuss this. I, I want to know your plan. Now, why would you want to do it this way? Now, why, God? Uh, you know, why would a loving God be such a, a person like this? Why, if God is this, would you do this? That's the wrong question. Notice the question Isaiah does say. He says, how? God's got a plan and Isaiah's on it. He says, then the Lord, then, then I said, Lord, how long will this go on? You can circle that word, how, in your Bible, just as a really good one. Then I said, Lord, how long will this go on? He doesn't say, why will this go on? Why, 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 why? Those are just like, you don't get good answers to why, because God is in charge. God's got all the why answers, and he's not going to tell us. It's, it's like, how, how, how do you want to do this? What's my role? Until their towns are empty, their houses are deserted, and the whole country is a wasteland, until the Lord has sent everyone away, and the entire land of Israel lies deserted, if even a tenth, a remnant survive, it will be invaded again and burnt. But a tamarinth or oak tree leaves a stump when it is cut down, so Israel's stump will be a holy seed. Now, we live on this side of when this all took place. So God was saying, listen, I'm done with this nation. They won't follow me. I'm going to like devastate them. Their towns are going to be moved out. The people are going to be moved out and their towns are going to be deserted. It's like, what a great 
and, and Isaiah, you're going to be the one to tell him, by the way, this is your job. Great, let me do it. No, how? How long? And he leaves it into God's hands because God has said, listen, I've given these guys all the chance and the opportunity they want. But even in that message, he said, there's always hope. And he says, this stump is going to come alive again. And it's exactly what came to pass. Historically, this is exactly what happened. So again, we, we get this incredible, incredible, uh, you know, uh, after the fact sense of what God is up to. Now, what God is asking for us is obedience. He's asking us for obedience. He's not asking us to be the masters, to figure it all out, you know, to come up with a plan, to ask all the right questions. He's asking us just to obey, just to follow what God is asking you to do, which is exactly what Isaiah does so fabulously. Now, by the way, John the Baptist would be another great example of this. You know, John was just like obedient. He didn't understand everything. And when Jesus came on the scene, he's like, look at Jesus. Don't look at me. I'm just a servant. And being the servant, John the Baptist said that was an awesome thing. I mean, John got to baptize Jesus. Awesome. But John didn't need all the glory. It was glorious enough pointing people to Jesus. Now, by the way, I would say for us, for every one of us, if you say, you know, I want to be part of ministry, I want to serve, I want to do something. This is what God has for all of us. He wants all of us to be his servants. And the primary way we can be his servants is to represent him, God. And the primary target of the people we should be serving are our families, our friends, and those around us. We should be communicating a heart of service. We should be servants to those around us. We shouldn't be trying to lord it over our friends, our family. We should be expressing God's heart of love in service to those that are around us. And for many of you, you've got the added like pleasure of being able to serve in church, the very institution that God is using in this earth to be the link between heaven and people on earth where you can serve in the church. I mean, it's, you know, it's a privilege to be able to have a ministry in church and to serve in church, whether it be something high profile or low profile. Uh, being in service, being, uh, offering your life to God in service is just a wonderful, wonderful thing. And it's super rewarding in such an unusual way. Without the pay and without the fame and without, you get it all from God. God is the one that's encouraging you, directing you and rewarding you because you won't get thanked enough from people. Uh, your family your, and your friends won't thank you that much when you help them and serve them. In fact, they probably abuse you and ask you to serve you know, too much and you have to set up barriers or boundaries to say, okay, I want to serve you, but I don't want to be abused by you. You know, that's the whole thing. But God wants us to have that heart of, of being a servant. I want to finish with a video here of Tim Tebow. Uh, a couple of you might know that name. But the reason I want to show this is because, hey, it's Patriots Day. I mean, uh, Super Bowl Sunday. I mean, Patriots Day. I mean, Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, so, uh, and, and Tim Tebow is one of these very misunderstood people. Now, let me just give you a little background. Tim's parents were missionaries. And so Tim grew up with a love for Jesus. He also happened to be a pretty good football player. Probably not good enough to be in the NFL as a 
quarterback. I mean, the Patriots fired him and the Broncos had a good go with them and whatever. But I mean, he was still pretty darn fantastic. Now, the misunderstanding that people have with Tim Tebow is this, uh, like for Christians. They think, okay, because he's a Christian, he must be like the greatest foot, you know, quarterback ever because he's got God on his side. And it's like, well, that's a, like not such a good link. So if you can get past that and you can see, okay, here's a, a guy that's saying, God, whatever gift you've given me, I just want to be a servant. I just want to take whatever platform you've given me and I want to give it to you. I want to serve you. If you get that concept, as opposed to I've got to be the greatest quarterback, then you'll understand this guy. So let's see if we can get this uh, video to roll and uh, let's watch this. You know, there's been so many times in my life where I felt unworthy or unqualified, but God would just do something so cool in the midst of it. And one of those times was when I was a junior at the University of Florida, and we we're getting ready to play Tennessee. And I see some of my teammates putting different eye blacks under their eyes, and uh, they're putting like their mom's name or their area code under their eyes. And so I start to think, you know, I I wonder if I could put something under my eyes that maybe could encourage someone or inspire someone. So I was like, well, God bless. I don't know. And I was like, well, Philippians 4.13. I could do that. You know, I can do all things through Christ strengthens me. I was like, that would be, be good for a football player. So I put it under my eyes. We were blessed to win because it was Tennessee. And um, it really wasn't that big of a deal. After the game, a couple of local newspapers wrote about it. But it wasn't that big of a deal. But I kept wearing it under my eyes every single game. And as probably a lot of you know, Gator fans are very passionate. So four, five, six weeks later, they're selling it at the Gator bookstore, at the Florida library. You have thousands of fans showing up to games wearing Philippians 4.13 under their eyes. And I honestly believe half of them don't even know what it means. I had one guy, his name was Phil, come up to me and said, Hey, did you wear that under your eyes for me? It's <laughs> like... No, it's a Bible verse. <laughs> what are you talking about? And um, so we get to the SEC championship game at the end of the year, and we're getting ready to run out of the tunnel, and football's kind of one of those things where it's you have such tunnel vision. It's just one thing at a time, one thing at a time. And as I was getting ready to run out of the tunnel, I really felt like God was putting in my heart to change the verse. I was like, really, right now? And But I realized that if we won, we'd be playing a national championship on one of the biggest stages that I might ever get. And so that would be the right opportunity to change the verse. And so we were blessed to win that game. And six weeks, the next six weeks leading up to the national championship, I was agonizing and really contemplating what verse I was going to go with. And God kept bringing it to my heart and my head, John 3:16, because it's the essence of our Christianity. It's the essence of our hope. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. It's what gives us hope as Christians. So I decided to go with that. And so two days before the, the game, I went up to my parents' hotel room in Miami, Florida. I was like, Mom, Dad, I've decided to change a verse, and I'm going to go with John 3.16. My mom's super sweet and supportive. Oh, that's great, honey. My dad's like, well, have you told Coach Meyer? Because <laughs> he says he just likes his routines, but that dude is so superstitious. It's ridiculous. So he's like, you really need to tell him. So we were right down the street at FAU practicing. We finished our last practice for a national championship. I said, hey, Coach Meyer, can I talk to you for a second? He's like, yeah, how you feeling? Your arm good, leg good, you ready for the game? I was like, yeah, I'm good. Um, you know the verse I'm wearing in my eyes? He's like, yeah, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ, strengthens me. I love it. I was like, well, I'm going to change that verse tomorrow night. What? What are you talking about? You can't change that verse. That verse got us here. <laughs> uh, 
nothing get us here. So after a couple minutes of explaining it to him, he totally was supportive and understood. And honestly, after that, I didn't even really think about it. I just went out there and tried to win the championship game. We were blessed to win. And two days later, I was at Ballyhoo Restaurant in Gainesville, Florida with me, my mom, my dad, my aunt, and um, Coach Meyer. And probably some of you have been to Ballyhoo's. And I was just sitting there eating a grouper. And um, Coach Meyer gets a call. And he's like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. All right, bye. And I was like, who is that? He said, that was Steve McLean. Here's our PR guy at Florida. So what do you have to say? He said, did you know that during that game, 94 million people Googled John 3.16? And honestly, my first thought was, how the heck do 94 million people not know John 3.16? <laughs> Hashtag Sunday school. It's like the first thing you hear, you know? But I was just sitting in Ballyhoo Restaurant, just so humbled at how big the God is that we serve and how he wants to do amazing things in us and through us. And when we just step out and show a little faith or a little courage or we just decide, hey, it's okay to be a little bit different than everybody else, what God can do in our lives. And that game just happened to be in 2009, January 8th. Well, exactly three years later, January 8, 2012, we just happened to be playing the Pittsburgh Steelers, and I never even thought about John 3.16 one time, so I can't take any credit for it. I just tried to go out there and win a playoff game, and we were blessed to win this crazy playoff game in overtime, and I run in and try to you know, shower really quick and change because I wanted to go celebrate with my family, so I'm running to go and do my press conference really quick because I love talking to the media. <laughs> And uh, right before I walk into the press conference room, Patrick, our PR guy, jumps in front of me. He says, Timmy, do you realize what happened? I was like, yeah, we just beat the Steelers. We're going to play the Patriots. Like, let me do this. He's like, no, do you realize what happened? And I was like, I guess not. He said, Timmy, it's exactly three, three, not, three years from the night you wore John 316 under your eyes. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. And he was like, no, you don't realize during the game, you threw for 316 yards. Your yards per completion were 31.6. Your yards per rush were 3.16. The ratings for the night were 31.6, and the time of possession was 31.06. And during the game, 90 million people Googled John 316, and it's the number one trending thing on every platform. And I was just standing there in that hallway getting ready to do this press conference thinking, that that night was about a football game. And it really wasn't, because the God that we serve is such a big God. And standing in that hallway, I knew that it was something so much more, because the God that we serve is a God of miracles, as we're gonna hear today. And it's a God that does pretty amazing things in us and through us. And I think we just have to be willing to step out and say, here you go, God, I'm gonna give you my fish and, and my loaves of bread and watch what he does with it. But the God we serve can do pretty awesome, amazing things. Yeah, and so for you and I, likewise, you know, let us go out, let us be servants of the living God. Let God just use whatever platform that we can serve others. Uh, Jesus was the ultimate servant. I mean, he died for us so that we could have relationship with God. Uh, it's just incredible what God has done for us. Why don't we have the worship team uh, come on up, and then after worship, we can have uh, communion and a, a chance to, to pray. Why don't you stand and, and uh, let's worship the Lord together.